Hello. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of Brews Let's Travel, the podcast exploring the best uncharted craft beer scenes in the U.S. I'm your host, Brian, and happy once again to be joined by our Yakima co-host, Tom. Tom, how's it going, buddy? Uh, well, you know, it's a great day to be in the Pacific Northwest and uh, not know how to operate my uh, my equipment. So, uh, yeah, yep. let's 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 just skip right over my technical difficulties and uh, move into something better. How are you doing? You've had some time. I, I know you've you've had some time off of work this week. Are, are you enjoying yourself? You know, it is nice not to be at work eight hours a day. Uh, definitely finding some time to do some well-needed uh, projects around the house and uh, get out and about. I have a little bit of vacation brain fog, but other than that, uh, don't don't be too uh, sharp with me today because I'll, I'm going to be dull on the other end. I will uh, it will not be sharp meet sharp. It will be yeah that it, words yeah not whatever word forming. Whatever the opposite of like, yeah, the the sound of two sharpened swords hitting off of each other. We will we will not be that. I, I, I got to be honest, I cannot stop focusing on it. I smashed my finger when I went to sit down just now with, with my beers. It hurts so bad, and uh, I, I just cannot stop thinking about it. It's, it's already started to make a mark. All right. Yeah, I got this, I got this like little side of my desk that pulls out here. And I went to sit mm-hmm. down, my finger, bam, right into it. I think alcohol would help with that. So, sadly, sadly, very sadly, this will be our last episode. Our final episode highlighting the wonderful city of Yakima, Washington. We're, uh, we're going to be enjoying beers from Kowichi Creek Brewing Company, a Yakima-based brewery that was opened in 2017 by husband and wife couple Maria and Derek Nordberg. Uh, we're going to be enjoying their Golden Soda, Hopped Up, Pilsner, and fickle blonde blondale shout out to everybody in the uh chat tonight joining us shout out to our beer club subscribers that are joining us to watch this show please please open open a beer we're going to get started with the fickle blonde first and uh we're going to be we're going to be joined by a guest so uh please welcome to the show the co-founder and brewer of kowichi creek derek norberg derek how's it going thank you guys thanks for having me oh you're welcome Let's start with our rapid fire questions here. Uh, These are fast questions that help us get to know you fast. So we got fast questions. We would like fast answers. Derek, are you ready? I'll do my best. Awesome. Let's do it. So favorite non-Kowichi Creek beer? Uh, Bell Breaker Leota May made out of Moxie, Washington, about 40 minutes from here. Shout out to Bell Breaker. Great people over there. Love that answer. Favorite malt. We talk a lot about hops with Yakima, but favorite malt. I mean, we're hop central, so we want the malt to be clean and crisp. Uh, Great Western malting, Washington Turo. Wonderful. Uh, favorite season of the year? Definitely summer. Uh, that's when everything's growing. That's when we're, bu- we're our busiest. Love summer. Okay, okay. Favorite thing on the food menu at Kowichi Creek? I would say anything with pasta is basically we make, we hand make it. It's like grown man Play-Doh. Uh, it's, it's fun <laughs> to make. It's even better to eat. Wonderful. Uh, if you're not working, where are you most likely to be? Uh, anywhere with my wife. Every minute of this place is needs. It's I want to spend it with her. That's wonderful. Very sweet. Uh, and finally, have you ever seen Bigfoot? No, <laughs> for sure not. <laughs> Uh, 
lots of stickers around these parts, lots of lots of shirts and um, costumes, but never the real deal. All right. All right. Well, we appreciate the honesty. You could have told a tall tale there, but uh, <laughs> let's get into our first beer. Derek, what would you like to tell us about the Fickle Blonde? Fickle Blonde uh, started out as, you know, our, our flagship IPA is the beer that we sell the most of and what we started out. We brewed uh, 67 versions of that to get it right. And the very next beer I brewed was like, okay, now I got IPAs. Now I need a crossover beer that I can give to somebody like myself that came from, you know, Washington State University that focused on light loggers their entire drinking career and make something that's approachable, something that a Coors Light drinker or a, or a Keystone Light or, or a Bush Light drinker could drink and stomach, but also be introduced to hops. And so we used a a very approachable hop, which is Citra, and used it just a little bit in the dry hopping. And that was the point of this beer was to hand it to one of my buddies from college and say, look, this is not a cup of gravel. You don't have to chew this thing down. You could you can drink this and it's not going to be far off from what you're used to. The word fickle came because we were going to feature a different hop every year. So the first year in 2017, it was Citra. The next year it was going to be Amarillo. And and, and then it kept flip-flopping based on hop contracts. And we couldn't contract certain hops the next year just because of supply. And so we had lots of citra. We're like, we'll just stick with the citra. And it also was supposed to be just a seasonal just for the summer. Uh, but it was our number two selling beer. So it then became a year-round beer that we have not changed. So it's, it's not fickle at all. It stays exactly the same. That recipe has not changed since 2017. Wow. That's some meat to that story right there. It, it's it's amazing how your customers tell you what what you're gonna what you're gonna do with your beers uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of breweries. I think they they have this like four or five core beers that they want to start with, and you know, everybody's got a pale ale, everybody's got an IPA, everybody's got nowadays a hazy. That was definitely one that we didn't think would take off, but it just skyrocketed. So uh, that one's here to stay for sure. So before you got into it, I mean, you've been been around for just a handful of years so far, four or five, six years. What was your background before the brewing? My wife and I are third generation farmers. When I first met her, our first date we went on together, we sat down for a beer and, you know, I'm, like we said, I was a light lager drinker in my history. And we sat down and, you know, of course she orders first and she orders an IPA and I go, crap. She ordered an IPA. Now, if I order a Coors Light or some other beer, she's going to make fun of me. <laughs> and so I just looked at the list and I go, Hefeweizen. I, I can stomach that. And so I ordered a Hefeweizen. But I didn't know at that time that Hefeweizens were the laughing stock of IPA drinkers. So she still made fun of me. <laughs> so the next time we went on a date and had beers, we we sat down and it was actually at, at Snipes Brewing down in Sunnyside. And she ordered an IPA and I go, fine, I don't want to get made fun of again. So I'll order an IPA. And to my surprise, you know, I, I was thinking it was going to be, uh, you know, like I said, a cup of gravel, something I'm just not going to enjoy. I was super thirsty that day and they brought it out and they set it in front of me and I smelt it and it smelt like fresh cut orange peels, like tangerines. Mm. And I smelt it and I was like, wow, that's not what I was expecting. And I, I tasted it and it tasted like citrus and fruit and even a little bit of maybe pine in the background and i i just looked at her i go wow that's crazy what that thing tastes like orange peels and she goes yeah that's hops silly and you know my first <laughs> college roommate's a hop farmer we're in the middle you know 33 percent of the world's hops are grown in yakima like i 
Like I'm friends with all these guys and I had no idea. I always thought that hops were bitter and instantly it just triggered something. And, you know, when you discover something new in anything, uh, I just dove into it. And so we started growing our own hops. I started doing beer research and, and that's the, those two dates are what kicked me from just grabbing something off the shelf to really caring about what I'm consuming. So that's the start of it. It's funny how uh, dating can lead us to uh, certain things in our lives and, Sounds like it's got you to a, a good point uh, and good career. Yeah. And so, and so, and to, you know, to, to keep going that, on that story is that, you know, in the fall, we're wrapping up harvest and we're coming off the busiest time of the year. We're, you know, and we're sitting here in an October day. Uh, she's almost done with pepper harvest. I'm done with hay. Uh, and we're sitting here and she goes, do you want to, you know, we, and we have been making cider, you know, getting cider, fermenting it and making hard cider and she goes well we've been making cider do you want to try making beer and I go yeah like we don't have anything else to do today and so we she got me started in making beer we made one batch you know the the turkey fryer in the garage with a with a spoon cooling it down with an ice bath in the utility room sink I mean that was our first batch and once again I was fooled you know we just googled IPA recipes and uh, the first one that came up, we, we went down and got all the ingredients for it. And when we're making it, I just, I remember smelling it and looking at the colors going, man, this is not right. This does not look like an IPA. Like this is, it looks like a brown ale, you know, and, and, and with our history of uh, my wife and I and cooking and food and, you know, which leads into the kitchen at the brewery, you know, we know recipe formulation, we know balance of flavors. We know, we know when you look at an internet recipe and they say, you know, four tablespoons of rosemary, you're like, that is not right. Like somebody is <laughs> out to lunch on this. There shouldn't even be <laughs> rosemary in this recipe. Well, that's like C60 in an in a IPA. Like it shouldn't be in there, you know, carafa, crafa or whatever. Uh, that stuff just shouldn't be in there. So we made this first beer and I mean, it was drinkable, uh, but it was not a light crisp IPA. And at that point, then it became, I knew that the only way to make beer and the way I make it, the the way to make it how I want it is you have to understand the ingredients. It all comes down to um, understanding how each, each piece brings, you know, like with food, it's the salty, sweet, savory, umami, you know, the five flavors. And so beers, beers, no different, you know, yeast, water, malt, and hops. So I started obviously with hops and we started doing test batches, you know, single hop, not smash beers, but pretty close to that where the the last additions were uh, the same hop all the way through. And then we would dry up half the batch and not the other half. So we could compare the hot side character of a hop versus the cold side character. And then we started blending those beers at certain ratios. And that's, that's how we came up with a lot of our first recipes was, was doing, you know, a, not a, not a single malt, but a, a regular IPA malt bill with a single hop all the way through. And that's how this whole thing started. And the, the scientific experiment started with the hops. Then we got into malt. Then it went into yeast and we finished with water. And after we figured out yeast, um, you know, you read the book by Chris White, uh, Yeast. It's uh, 300 pages of boringness. But had I not read that and had I not done scientific experiments to prove things, uh, our beer never, never would have gotten good. So that's 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 how it all started. I, I think uh, Jamil brings some character to the yeast book. There's some funny jokes and stuff. Yeah, in Jamil, there. both Jamil, Zana Chef, and and Chris White. Yeah, both those guys. <laughs> and and you know what, Jamil had some great points. And and one thing that I learned from Jamil was that you know those little yeast packets that you get as a home brewer, and it says it's good for five gallons. It's not. It's good for like 
1.5 gallons. It really takes, you know, three or four of those packets and then build a starter with them. And then Make you pitch the right amount of cells. Yep. Yeah. So farmers, we're frugal. I was cheap. So I started making starters, not out of a necessity of, you know, trying to make the beer better. I was, I was spending a lot of money on yeast. And so uh, propagating that yeast, it, it was saving a bunch of money. But then after you get to like the third generation, that's when, that's when they really wake up and they start doing their job and you start getting these clean, crisp fermentations. And what I learned, I have the saying, I don't think, I think it's opposite of what everybody else says, but I say, 99% of what you're not tasting in beer is the yeast. And that means, you know, when you're using 1056 or, you know, a California ale yeast, the, the better the fermentation, the more healthy the fermentation, the better the temperature control, all that stuff um, is what you're not going to taste in it. You're not going to have, you know, diacetyl and esters and, and all these off flavors. It's going to be clean and crisp. And that's, that's what we were going for. Yeah. I always say that yeast is far and away the most important ingredient and it, it, because it does that, because it has that amazing buffering of ability to clean, clean things up. It, it lets diacetyl out and then it reabsorbs it and it lets acetaldehyde out and it, it, it absorbs that. And it does amazing things that often can make up for our mistakes and shortcomings in the, on the hot side. You know, they used to call it the brewer's mistake hop was when mosaic got really popular because they said <laughs> you could dry hop something with mosaic and it would mask everything you messed up in fermentation and, and beyond that. And that is true. But if you really focus on a good base product, you don't need to try to mask it. It's just you're already it's a foundation. If you're if your base, if your base ingredients, your base product isn't good, it doesn't matter what you do to it. It's always defected. It's, it's not correct. So Kowichi Creek debuted at Yakima's Fresh Hop Ale Festival in 2016. So I imagine uh, Yakima Beers Festivals are pretty special for you in the brewery. What is something unique about pouring at those hometown festivals? You know, as an attendee, and, and I'm now on the Fresh Hop board, so I, I help run this festival. You know, I went from just an attendee in 2015 to a producer in 2016 to uh, a couple of years ago, I took a, a position on the board. And the biggest part about pouring at these festivals is, you know, beer festivals are beer festivals. People are there to have a good time and, and taste different things. But the biggest thing I learned about these festivals is they're all charity events. They all, you know, you can't even get a special occasion license without a 501c3 nonprofit. And there's a charity or a nonprofit behind every one of these festivals in Washington state. So there, you know, when you go to downtown summer nights, downtown Yakima, that's supporting the downtown association of Yakima, which is a, you know, like a marketing arm for all of our downtown businesses. Fresh Hop produces, you know, roughly on a normal year, not, not COVID, whatever, you know, $125,000 for Yakima area arts and humanities nonprofits from, you know, art things to, you know, high school band to a, a garden project for an uh, elementary school to uh, children's village to, you know, all that, all, and when you hand a token over into that person and, and trade them for a beer, that token going to that bucket is actually going back into your community. And that's the, that's the, you know, beer is beer. And the Fresh Hop Ale Festival is my favorite festival in the world because it's the only place you're going to taste, you know, 65, 70 unique beers that are only poured this time of year. And once they're gone, they're gone. They're never. They're never going to be replicated because of the agronomy that goes into the fresh hops in the beer. So I love that festival for that reason. But the, the underlying 
the whole purpose of this thing is to generate funds for our community. And so that's what I love about our, our beer festivals in Washington state. So I'm going to circle back a little bit and that's, that's amazing. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that if you followed the stream at all, which maybe you didn't, um, I kind of, I grew up in Yakima over by West Valley high school and that sort of thing. And, uh, went to St. Joe's. So my shout out to St. Joe's, get that in now while we're at it. But one of the things that I like to talk about when I'm on a tour, a brewery tour or whatnot is the mixture of science with the, with kind of like the ingredient baking, uh, side of things like people that's, that's where the magic of brewing happens. Like how much is science? How much is that? Some people are very far science. Some people are very far. Like I build the recipe. Sounds to me like you found a very good happy medium, um, between the two with that. Would you agree with that or what, how much goes into each side for you? Uh, on this side note, St. Joe's is that elementary school with the garden that does get those funds recipients, you know, beer builds this garden for that uh, elementary school. Very cool. Um, but yeah. you, you, you have, you got me like it's, it's, I thought it was, you know, cooking versus baking is the same thing. Like cooking is, mm-hmm. you know, I throw a little butter in and I throw a little of this in and if it's not rich enough, I throw some more fat in and, you know, you can build those flavors as you go and baking you know, we're, we started getting into bread and, and other things. And it's so like fermentation and bread is just as important as fermentation and, and beer. It's, there is a science behind it. And if you don't understand that science, I mean, especially, you know, leveraging everything you have to create a brewery, you can't just go in like, well, it worked the last time I did this. I have no idea why. Uh, you have to have that confidence and that knowledge base to say, like, if you have a problem and there is diacetyl in a beer, you have to understand what phase in the process that was, you know, what you did wrong and occurred that last year we, you know, we grow our own fresh hops last year. We just had a really big fire, really close to our, our property uh, up in the mountains, up in the East in the Eastern Cascades. And this is the first time where, when we have smoke coming from, you know, that area, the fire is actually real close. It's not coming out of British Columbia or, you know, some other area getting blown in through the, the, the Gulf stream or whatever. This is actually like ashes falling on our cars from this fire. And we're, you know, 15 miles away from the epicenter of it. So, so last year we picked our hops, we took them down and carpenters uh, cleaned them out for us. And we brewed a fresh hop beer with these hops There's Centennial and Chinook and that. And I mean, this, the, the beer smelled and tasted amazing up until like day four. And then on day seven or eight, we tasted again and it tasted like chloroseptic, that spray that you numb your throat with when you have a cold, uh, it, it turned medicinal and just, and it didn't smell bad. It just, the flavor was, I mean, it was really, really bad. And I, huh. you know, the first thing you, you go to is like, man, I, I think we've got some sort of wild fermentation infection and you start going back through your process and because we don't have a full lab here, we heat and chemical kill step everything on, you know, pre cold side. We're so careful that if you don't understand the science of why this, why this problem is happening or where in the process you, this problem occurred, you'd have no idea. But I sat there and I thought, thought about it. I'm like, there's no way we couldn't have, we couldn't have had an infection. And so we go, we, we sent samples over to bell breaker. They analyzed it. They couldn't, they played it. They couldn't find anything, you know? And so we started, talking to other people. And then eventually it came out that Fremont Brewing does a fresh hop beer that same day. They use the same guys, Carpenter Ranches, to pick their hops. And they also had off flavors in their fresh hop beer. And, you know, everybody started talking 
And we are the two hop yards, Fremont's hops and our hops are the westernmost hop yards in Yakima Valley. So we're the closest to the fire. So we got the, the high concentrations of smoke and sediment displaced on these hops. And we also picked those hops on a day that it started to rain. So we think that the rain sprinkling through the air trapped and captured a lot of the the smoke out of the air and deposit on the hops. And then of course they didn't go through a kiln and get baked for eight hours straight. Uh, they went straight into beer, which means all that sediment got deposited on the leaves, went straight into the beer, became a part of the beer. And it's just crazy that it didn't, it didn't really start to, you know, rear its ugly head until about day seven. We ended up dumping our batch. They had a centrifuge and some other things they did to find it. I think if, if you go back, you can find a couple of posts they did on what they did to actually fix that beer. But ha had you not had that scientific understanding of the process, the ingredients, and how we got to that point, you know, we would have just said, uh, dump it. There's, there's no, we would have never figured out what actually happened. And in the end, we figured it out. It was smoke taint. It's not. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. The, the, the fact that you guys did that at the same time where you were able to pinpoint that together, that's pretty crazy. And especially since Fremont's all the way over in Seattle, three hours away, but the conversations, uh, that's, that's pretty, pretty amazing that you guys were able to figure that all out. Yeah, it's just the process of elimination. You know, and when, we, when we make changes to a recipe, we change one thing at a time, like never more than one, because you will never know what that change did, you know, 10 steps down the process. And so it's just dumb luck that we were picking on the same day, picking very close to each other, picking, picking hops that were the same maturity, just all those things lined together to where there was, you know, two different breweries, uh, one that's got a pretty serious lab program, one that doesn't. And the same thing happened to both beers. So yeah, it's just, that's the, the science. We would not be here today it, uh, without it. That's great. Having that in-house kitchen, are you able to marry what you do in the kitchen to what you're doing with the beer? Do you, does it help you create different beers for uh, different food profiles and, and that sort of thing? Or what, what's it like having that intersection there? You know, it's, they just go hand in hand. And when we built this thing, we had no, no plans. There's no room for a kitchen in that brewery. There's, there was just food. We're on a, we're on a farm to get a restaurant approved on egg zone land in Yakima County is, you know, well, uh, we fig figured it out. It's a, a year of permitting $40,000 and uh, approval from the Board of County Commissioners to get it. Food was never a plan, but my wife and I, one of our things that we do is we go and we go out to dinner and we find something we really like, and then we come home and we perfect it. And we, we learn, that's where we learn recipe formulation and balance of flavors. And then that's then after that, we started doing the beer and this, it's no different. You, we go out and taste a beer we really like, but we'd want to change two or three things. And so that's what, that's how the beer started. Now we're first full circle going back into the kitchen side and the food side. And because we're a brewery, we really have kind of a, a unfair advantage over a restaurant in that, first of all, 14% of our profits, we don't pay to, get, to have our beer made, we make our beer. So we can take 14% of that and we can put it into the food cost. So just like beer is all based on ingredients, the better the ingredients, the better the beer, that's the same thing with the food. So, and we're a farm, so we can grow our own ingredients. You know, everything kind of ties to get together on the production. But the cool thing is, is that when we do, when we do something, uh, whether it be a, you know, a raspberry sour release or 
something dark and roasty for the fall or whatever. We can completely change our menu and people are just, they're just here to have a good time and they're okay with these, um, they're called LTOs or limited time offerings on the menu. They're, they're things that we just pop up on a Thursday and they sell out by Saturday and it was just for this, you know, small batch beer release. So all the time we're in the kitchen like literally my first day starts off in the brewing side and the, and the production side. And then at about three o'clock, my hat changes. And now I'm on back of house side with food and everything is, everything is intertwined. And even the seasonality of things, everything is, everything is, it's, it's so intertwined. And sometimes when you get into this production brewery thing, you have to brew the same four beers over and over and over again, all year long. They can't be different, you know, depending on the time of year, you can't even have alterations of that. It's got to be consistent. Consistency is key in those year round beers. So you kind of lose a lot of that creative ability when you're on a 20 barrel brew house. That's, you know, you got 600 gallons of beer that you got to keep producing time after time again. And at the end of the day, you're like, you know, I just want to make, I just want to make gnocchis with uh, sage brown butter. That, that's my creative thing to, I'm going to do today. I can't do it on the brewing side, but I get to do it on the food side. So that's the, and even during, you know, COVID we were so reduced on beer sales that it was, there was no, there were no uh, seasonals, no one-off beers, no new recipe experiments. We couldn't, we could barely afford just to keep brewing the beers, our core beers. And so when the kitchen opened during COVID, uh, that was my creative outlet. And that's where I got to to do things that my wife and I do up in our kitchen all the time. You know, I have all these things in my back pocket. We've perfected chicken wings uh, long before the brewery was even an idea. We had that perfected. <laughs> so when we launched the brewery, I'm like, we're going to do chicken wings and we're going to do the best chicken wings that Yakima's ever seen. Same thing with we're, we're a very, we're well known for our burgers here. And burgers was something that I had perfected back in, you know, 2015 we'd watch this discovery show called meat men with Pat LaFrida from New York. He's the, or New Jersey. He's the, the meat purveyor for all of the, the high end restaurants in in that area. And he's got this burger blend of, you know, 33% prime grade Chuck brisket and short rib. And that's what we do here. We use prime grade meat and we use whole primals, not just the trimmings of the animal. You know, it's, it's, it's muscles that are specific to that, that lend themselves well to burgers. And so, you know, a couple of years ago in January, our slowest, month of the year we we brought out our prime grade hand ground burgers and that's the that's the from my standpoint that's the cool part is we get to do these things because we have that extra 14 percent that we didn't pay somebody to make our beer we can now put that into food costs and food labor to hand grind these burgers and make the best burgers and yakima is a burger too and as you know tom knows that yakima is a burger town and a taco town and so there's 87 burger places in Yakima. How do we stand out in a farm in the middle of nowhere? Um, we got we to gotta bring the best thing that we can to market. Yeah, I think I might be driving over the mountain here pretty soon just to come taste some of that stuff. You're going to have to send me emails <laughs> on what you're, what you're going so I can make the trip. I, I have got to hear more about the perfect chicken wings. But before that, let's take a beer break and talk about murals. About 20 minutes outside of Yakima lies the town of Toppenish, and it is decked out with over 75 paintings commemorating important history, figures, and events in the town. The first mural was completed in 1989 in honor of Washington State's centennial celebration, and since then, a mural society has been preserving this mural program. 
Each new painting is accompanied by a short paragraph on a plaque explaining the scene or individual it depicts. Uh, and every year on a single day in June, hundreds of people gather to watch dozens of artists complete a new wall-sized mural in a day. Since the first mural went up in 1989, over 70 additional murals have been completed by the Mural Society. Visitors to the town can walk through the streets and enjoy the beautiful murals that tell the stories of the town, its people, and their shared history. Now, let's get back to the show. I would love, Derek, for you to tell us about the Golden Soda. Golden Soda st- started out as a collaboration with Hollenberian Sun Hops in Yakima. They're, they're uh, um, one of the hop brokers in Yakima. And Kashmir, which is uh, a hop that was produced from my alma mater, Washington State University, was just kind of coming out in the market. And they, Hollenberry was, you know, they're coming into the harvest. They wanted a light they wanted a light beer that they could serve to brewers in the hop selection room. That's featuring, you know, a couple of the hops that they sell. And I go, okay. So I, we went through a list of, uh, of what hops that they were, they were interested in featuring this beer and, and cashmere is the one that stuck out. And so we made a test beer with it and cashmere to me, uh, my growing up, my, one of my, my childhood friends, they had strawberries and we go pick strawberries for a summer job before we could drive tractor. And your hands, when you got out of that strawberry field, you smell, and it's the green character of the strawberry plant. It's, and it, it's kind of a mix between strawberry jam and just green strawberry. And that's what cashmere, to me, tasted like. It's straight up strawberries. And so it interests me so much. So I was like, well, you know what? If we're going to do this, let's make this a beer that's approachable, that, that is not overly hopped, but still ha- can show off the, the cashmere flavor profile. And Matt, the owner of Hollenberry, says like, yeah, he goes, I want a beer that my wife can come up and drink. And I go, okay, so we'll keep the bitterness down. Um, we'll probably use all pills and malt. Um, we'll, keep it, we'll keep it light. But I go, the only way we, we're going to do this, that I will agree to do this, is that I want to dry hop the crap out of it with cashmere. And Matt goes, that's exactly what I want. And I go, well, then we're in agreement. You know, so that started out, that was the first version of, of Golden Soda. And then later the, after that, so, so I remember uh, the first story of that beer in that selection room, there was a, uh, a large Chicago area brewer there doing the selection. And Matt asked the guy, he's like, while you're doing selection, hey, you want a beer while you do this? He's like, yeah, sure. And so Matt pours them a beer and sets it on the counter and the guy picks it up and he smells it. And he goes, he does this puzzled look on his face. And, and he goes, who the F brewed this? And Matt goes, well, a brewery, like right down the road where I live, a uh, local brewery here. And he, and he took a drink of it and he goes, and he goes, what the F kind of hop is that? Blah, blah, blah. You know? And Matt goes, well, it's cashmere. It's a, it's a, you know, a newer hop that we're, you know, selling basically. And, you know, and he's, he said a couple of things and, and Matt's like, oh crap, what did I just give this guy, you know, this whole project to cre- create this collaboration beer to hopefully impress brewers on cashmere. And this guy is obviously really upset with it. And he just looks at me, he goes, that's an effing tasty beer, blah, 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 you know? And then I think there was maybe some cashmere purchased after that, whatever. That was the, that was, that was the whole purpose behind that beer. So the next year when we got more, 
more cashmere available to us. I said, I want to do it again, but I want to do it with a little bit of Centennial. Centennial is like lemon pledge to me. It's a very lemony. So strawberries and lemons, it's like our strawberry lemonade hop edition, because I believe, you know, a lot of people, you know, we put fruit in our sours, obviously, but a lot of people put fruit in Hefeweizens and whatever. And I think we can get those flavors, those original flavors that I tasted at Snipes Brewing on my second IPA I'd ever had uh, with my wife before I'd ever started brewing, I figured out that hops can have those citrusy flavors and that you don't need to put fruit in your beers to get them in the beer. So that's, that's golden soda is strawberries and lemons. Um, and it's our summertime beer. That's that's how that started and, and where it's at today. Nice. Uh, the wings, how, how, do, how do you, how, how have you perfected wings? What is your, what's your secret? I'm never really happy with what we have. You know, we, we are always like, every time we do something, it's, it's like, I used to work in IT, it's full circle life cycle management. So when you get done with something, you always go back and you review what you did. And you're like, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? If you have to do it again, what would you change? And this is what, when my wife and I have these dinners, this is what we do. We make them, we get them better than what we had in the restaurant because we can focus two hours on two plates and we get done with it. And I'm like, what did you think? She's like, it was good. I'm like, what would you do differently next time? And then the next time we make that, we do those changes and in one change at a time, the scientific experiment, you know? So I thought I had the best wings ever. And the, the way you get them there is removing moisture. You know, cooking is, cooking is just getting moisture out of the food pretty much, dehydrating it, so to speak. There's other things that happen in there, like the Maillard process and, and conversion, like starch conversion and things like that. But for the most part, cooking is removing water. So wings, in my opinion, need to be crispy. So you need to get the water out of the wing. And the easiest way to do that is to par-bake them before you fry them. Sometimes people double fry them, you know, par-fry them and then pull them out, let them, de- you know, let them cool off or whatever. We used to, when we first started making wings, we just go 13 minutes in, uh, a thawed frozen wing. Um, that was how we thought was the best way to make a wing. And so we figured out that this is the one of the few times where a chef trick to uh, reduce cook times during service, which is par cooking things. It actually improves the quality of the wing because you're dehydrating it. You're getting a lot of that moisture out so that when you do the final fry, you don't have all that steam escaping through the skin, making that the, the, the crispy skin soft before it even gets sauced, you know, and then it's going to sit in that sauce, which are, you know, there's water in all those sauces. So by the time it hits your plate, you know, it's going to sit in the sauce for, you know, one to three, five minutes or whatever. So keeping that skin crispy was truly important. So we served these wings for, you know, a year and a quarter or something like that. And, and finally we, you know, the great chicken wing shortage when, when Texas had the, the freeze out and they lost all the chickens and pretty soon chicken wings were pretty hard to find. We were getting them from Agra super out of Chile is where they were coming from. And pretty soon those got to be really expensive where we can afford to afford to, you know, it's a $20 plate of wings pretty soon. So we got to the point where like, we got to find an alternate source of these wings. $170 case of wings. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy how expensive it got. So we went down to Costco and they have Foster Farms fresh uh, chicken wings in the, you know, in the, just the, the refrigerated cases back by the, not in the freezer section. They're just, they're in the refrigerated section. And so I told the guy that we work, that works with me, I'm like, Hey, go down and pick up some of those wings. They're, they're a reasonable price, but we have to know that, do we have to, and they're not brined. Uh, is a key piece of this. We have to know that, do we have to buy these things for a cheaper price, but then rebrine them before we par, fry, par cook them and then fry them out the door? Like, 
pretty soon the labor is going to start to get caught up with what the, the, the agri super wings are. And so we, we did a, we did a test with them. We brined some, we pre fried you know, par fried them, we par cooked them, you know, put them out, did a blind taste test on them. And we figured out that you don't need to rebrine these things, that they're actually pretty good on their own. So then we completely redid the process that we are using. And I, I made uh, three different batches, you know, the triangle tests, obviously I made three different batches and I brought my entire team back to try these wings. And two of the batches were the new style, which is a unbrined fresh wing par cooked and then uh, cooled down overnight and then refried uh, to order. And then the other one was our process with the pre-brined wings, the old way. And so I put the three boats out, A, B, and C, and A and B were, uh, A was our wing, the old wing, and then B and C were our, the new process. So they can taste what we, they don't know this, but they're going to taste what we've been doing for a year and a half, and then what I just came up with. And so they all get to A, they eat it, and they're like, well, that's not a very good wing. I can tell you that's not our wing. <laughs> Like without even tasting the, the other two, they already know that's not our wing that we've been serving for a year and a half. And so they get to the second one <laughs> and they, they had a hard time, you know, a lot of, they're exactly the same. Uh, a lot of time they had a real hard time discerning which was better, but B and C were light years ahead, better than A. And so when they all got done and I'm like, okay, so which one do you guys think is our wing that we've been serving? And most of them said, it's gotta be C. That's our that's our wing. That's one. That's, that's our, our good wing. I'm like, Nope, it's a, that's what we've been serving for a year and a half. And everybody was just like, Oh no, we've been serving these <laughs> wings for a year and a half. Like, you know, we've been so lying to our, ourselves. That's our secret. The secret's out now. Yeah. Don't use it, you know, cause you're trying to dehydrate them. It's tr you're trying to get water out of them. So why would you brine them to pack more water into them to then just cook it out of them? You're like inserting water to then carry flavor out of the wing. You know what I mean? So it just goes down to when you, when you think about it, the logic of it, you're like, yeah, you, you want, you want concentration of flavors. You don't want to dilute them. That's, uh, that's what brining them does. There's, and there's, you know, chicken wing meat doesn't need to be brined. It's already moist and juicy. Like it doesn't, it doesn't need that extra water. It's a, if it's a chicken breast. Yeah. Okay. Brine it. But chicken wings, people that brine chicken wings, all those companies are doing are they're selling you water, salt and water. As a way to take a <laughs> eight pound bag of wings and sell them as 10 pounds and then charge you for the two pounds of water they sold you. Anyways, that's our, that's our, that's our, <laughs> that's how you cook a chicken wing. Something maybe a little bit along the same lines, but back to beer. What's the challenge of brewing a lower ABV hop forward beer compared to like an IPA or a double IPA? How do you, how do you get there? From our experience, the biggest problem, uh, especially in a high volume brewery is glycol temperature. I guess out of the factory, they probably want you to run that glycol at about 27 degrees Fahrenheit. And the issue we had was the first time we brewed uh, the blonde actually in our system, I completely missed our gravities. It, I, I was scaling up from uh, a clone, like a Sabco Brew Magic clone that I'd built. And I was scaling it to our big system, which, just a, which is just a, a bigger version. It's a 20 barrel version of a Sabco that I built like the entire thing to myself just because I didn't know how these recipes were going to scale. And if we change from direct fire to steam and, you know, insulated mash tun versus not and different sparging and Vorloff processes, whatever, I didn't know if it was going to affect the beer. So I duplicated the systems and the first batch we did of the blonde, I messed up the gravities and it came out uh, way low on ABV, way low on, you know, original gravity, way low. 
And I'm like, crap, we just brewed this beer and it's like, it's going to be like three and a half percent, you know, way, way under what we did, what we wanted. And the first time I, I chilled a beer to, uh, to cold crash 35, we were using 27 degree glycol with a low alcohol ABV beer. And what it did was it literally froze the beer to the sides of the tank to the point where I couldn't even move the racking on the racking on was froze to the side of the jacket to the, on the, the 45 degree cone. It was or 60 degree cone. It was froze to it. So when we racked the beer off, you couldn't even move the racking arm to get it out of the sediment. So um, that was the first wow. thing. That was a happy accident because we tested the alcohol afterwards, tested the, the gravity afterwards, and we were right at 5.1%, which we had went from whatever it was. It was three, four, four and a half, whatever it was, but it readjusted the beer back to originally what it was. So I learned that lesson. And then I learned that when we cold crash these things, we have to do it in, in steps. So you can't just go up there and change from 60 degrees down to 35. You, you got to, you, you know, delay it over time. So eventually what we figured out how to prevent this freezing problem was our glycol runs at 29 degrees. That's what our glycol temp is set to. And we, we don't freeze these low ABV beers, but if you run that, just that two degree differential in your glycol is what, uh, what freezes the beers, anything below about 5%, for 4.8%, that's when you start freezing beers. But yeah. since raising the glycol temp, we've fixed that. But at the same point, if we were higher volume and we're trying to get beers cold crash quicker and uh, cranked out of the brewery quicker, uh, that probably wouldn't, you know, for instance, Bale Breaker over to Moxie, they would never raise the temp of their glycol because they can't afford the additional time it takes to get the beer chilled down, you know, the delta of the temperature, basically. Yeah. So that's, a, that's our biggest challenge with low ABV beers. But uh, on the flip side, it's also my favorite style of beer uh, is low ABV because I like to drink beer. I don't, I don't like to get hammered. I want to, I like the flavors and the, the balance of it and, and how it feels in your mouth. So uh, we don't do a lot of high ABV, ABV beers for, just for that reason. I don't want to sip on it. I want to, I want to enjoy the beer. Great. So we've been lots of places tonight talking about beers, talking about chicken wings, talking about burgers. Derek, what's what's one thing about Yakima that you wish was more appreciated, either by locals or by people coming in from out of town? Portland is, you know, in, in the Pacific Northwest, Portland is the, the beer mecca. I'm, I know we're obviously not there. We're not a Bend, Oregon. But we do have, you know, a handful of breweries in Yakima that are really producing great beer. I think that the the idea that Yakima is a bunch of farmer, farmers and you know, yellow beer bars and, and things like that. I think that when you go, when, and, you know, obviously Tom, you know, this Yakima is one degree of separation. So, so it's such a tight knit community, even though there's, you know, 300,000 people in the County, a hundred thousand people in the city. Um, I can meet almost anybody here. And I, there's one person that ties the two of us mm -hmm. together. And in the, in the, and in the, the whole crazy scheme of things is that, you know, when you go into some place like tri cities or, you know, uh, Spokane or these other markets, the, the people don't know, it's not everybody knows everybody. It's very, you know, uh, I guess less personable or whatever. So when you go into a, a bar or restaurant in Yakima and you tell them, Hey, I'm the owner of Kawachi Creek. They're like, Oh yeah, my such and such is this. And, and this guy works with you or, or my brother sells you hops or what, you know, and they support the local beer scene. Right. So most every, the, the thing that, that people don't realize about Yakima is that most every bar and restaurant in Yakima is entirely Yakima beer. You can't find, uh, very hard to find an Elysian space dust on tap in Yakima. Mm -hmm. 
Good. Hardly Good. any Mac and Jack's African Amber. You know, it's everybody supports. And that's the thing that's crazy about Yakima is it's everybody supporting everybody locally. And because of that, because everybody knows that they're one degree of separation from somebody that may know, you know, you, they treat you as such, you know, it's a very small town, you know, attitude in a bigger, a bigger environment. That's nice. the one thing I wish people knew about Yakima is that how, how nice and, and friendly people are based on the size of the city. Nice. Thanks again for joining us, Derek. A- anything to plug for Kawachi Creek? I mean, we've talked about uh, most everything that uh, that I'm proud of. That number one, that my wife converted me from a yellow beer person to uh, a craft uh, beer uh, enthusiast, and then she also converted me from somebody that drinks it to somebody that makes it, and that she and that she supports everything that we do here, and and she's the backbone of this business. That's the that's the the one thing that makes us different is it's just her and I. There's no other no other people involved. It's just my team. Obviously, we get to go do the things that we want to do. We make the things that we want to make, and we make it our way. And we get to use the scientific experiment to figure out how to make things better every day. And when we get done with things, we always come back and ask, you know, okay, we did it that way. What can we do differently next time to make it better? That's a great philosophy to look at beer and look at look at life in general. Great plug. Yeah. Great plug for sure. Yeah. Thanks, Derek. Um, if people want to learn more about Cowichi Creek, follow them at Cowichi Creek Brewing on Instagram. That's C-O-W-I-C-H-E-C-R-E-E-K Brewing. I just realized how bad how bad I am at spelling like fast aloud like that. <laughs> go go give them a follow on Instagram. Thanks for providing us uh, uh, beers for this episode. Tom, it's been great co-hosting Yakima episodes with you. Uh, final thoughts on, on Yakima. One final shout out. So obviously the one final shout out to St. Joe's, but really, I mean, I, I have to uh, say that a lot of who I am today is built on those years of growing up there and the apple orchards and running around and doing stuff like that. So I was really excited to uh, be a part of this. So thanks for having me and thanks for letting me be a part. Been great. Like uh, Derek said, one, one degree separation, every brewer we ran into was like, oh, you're from Yakima, that you're still a part of us sort of thing. So uh, it's a, it's a great, it's a great feeling to be still a part of something, even though it was many moons ago uh, since I've been there. So looking forward to going back and visiting now and, and stopping by in all those places again. So thanks again, Brian, for having me. Oh, thanks for being here, Tom. And yeah, I I, uh, I am so excited about Yakima. I knew I knew going into this, this was going to be a fun month. You know, what's whatever seventy five percent of the hops that are used in the American brewing industry are grown in this region. I, it's been so cool to learn about that close knit community that's around there and the the support that everybody offers each other and the, just the flat out phenomenal beer that's coming out of that area and i'm gonna try my damnedest to get up there for harp harvest season next year because i can't imagine a better place in the world than than yakima at, at hop harvest so that's gonna do it for us for yakima thanks for joining us uh for these episodes again check out our featured brewery tonight howichi creek brewing on instagram go check them out Thanks to all of our Yakima breweries for this month. Shout out to Bale Breaker, Varietal, Wandering Hop, Single Hill. Everyone has been great. 
thank you all so much. Um, you can follow us on social media at Bruvana. Be sure to head over to Bruvana.com for lots of great stuff, including the beer club. Help support this show while getting uh, great beer shipped to you. It's the beers that we feature on the podcast, and then you could join us live and drink alongside us and our guests as we record these episodes. We'll be back next week to kick off a special month of uh, brews less traveled. We're going to be doing something off of the beat, off the beaten path next month. I'm I'm excited about it. It's it's going to be something a little different. It's something that we've wanted to do since we started this show quite some time ago, and. Um, And I'm not going to say anything more than that. Uh, Until next week, stay safe, be kind, and support local breweries. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.